Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, a.k.a. Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's LaMarvelous. Thank you, guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Monday, October 12th. My name is Jake Luke, and I am joined by Spenny Pumpkins, a.k.a. the COVID Kid. Spencer Schultz, how you doing? Pumpkins and a Johnny Apple Cider vinegar, a.k.a. Uh, drink, your, drink your vitamin D and get your vitamin D or else you'll get sick like me. Doing all right. I feel a little bit better. I... Was struggling all week and now i'm starting to feel myself again so improvement trying to take it easy still don't want to wear myself down too much the way the baltimore ravens defense absolutely wore the shit joe burrow today yeah a little bit of a uh nice uh nice little pick-me-up probably for you here today with the comfy ravens win 27 to 3 um some hand-wringing on twitter about the way that it played out which we're going to get into obviously but uh game really never in doubt uh, from a scoreline perspective, uh, just really going out there, getting things done, taking care of business against a inferior divisional opponent, and you find yourself at four and one. It's uh, not a bad spot to be. Not at all. And when you look back last year, twenty nineteen, some pretty, I mean, pretty similar teams, same coaching staff, couple new faces, couple departures, but struggled out of the well, not out of the gate, but two and zero against a couple less than stellar teams, then got blown out defensively back-to-back games over a thousand yards they go to pittsburgh two and two and really struggled game that they very easily could have lost to duck hodges marlon humphrey ends up bailing them out there with that forced fumble and then from there it was curtains for the rest of the regular season they go 14 and two, reel off 12 straight so putting that perspective and, and kind of how this coaching staff can experiment a little bit early in the season to adjust later in the season especially after that bye week i think the ravens are in a really good place to make a strong run in November and December and make that off push, but assume anything, you can't take these games for granted. I think the Ravens have done a great job not taking for granted, uh, making sure to on defense and converting in the zone and doing some basic things like that. So encouraging performance from a team could start to still get stronger, but at the end, this is one of the best teams in the NFL and they're playing like it. Yeah, I mean, sitting there at four and one, you probably 
would have predicted that. I think if you were an informed fan or analyst, whatever, looking at the schedule with the way that they opened. Uh, I think that's know. where you and I, both of us had them exactly there. And then we kind of got some some purple Kool-Aid in our that Chiefs game, and then they snatched it right back out. Listen, we were feeling our onions a little bit before that game, as uh, as we are wont oh, to yeah. do sometimes. But uh, listen, it happens sometimes. And, uh, you know, like I keep saying, I think going back to that Chiefs game, I think the way that it played out, um, I wouldn't say it was fluky, but I'd say it was a game that – you know, it could have played out differently and, you know, a lot of different uh, if the game had been played a couple different times. And I think uh, it would play out differently in, in a potential rematch that a lot of people are sort of already talking about, sort of looking at it as some kind of foregone conclusion that they're going to be seeing the Chiefs again. They're not on the schedule and uh, maybe they'll see them see them in the playoffs, but it's a little presumptive, in my opinion. And you just got to win the games that are on your schedule. So they go out there today uh, after a bounce back win against Washington. There were some concerns in that game. They go out there today, I think they looked pretty similar in this game as they did to the Washington game. Uh, offense was a little feast or famine. They did make some nice plays. I thought Lamar looked uh, okay. He was shaky at times, forcing the ball to uh, his top two targets there, which we're also going to get into. But defense, I don't think we've seen a defensive performance quite like this in uh, quite a long time. 2018 Titans was this time. Marcus Mariota the- sacked like 11 times, right? Yeah, just bruised and broken. And that was kind of a similar game, actually. One of the last last really good games out of Joe Flacco era, unfortunately. But it's led to the Lamar Jackson era. And I think this defense really is going to start to click in terms of understanding how to manipulate offensive lines. And while it's best to overreact to a Bengals offensive line definitely is is bottom five in the league. Everybody knows that. Right tackle is arguably the worst protector in football right now. But using those games as a springboard, I think, is imperative for a lot of those new faces on that defense and some of those younger players to understand how to manipulate protections, where the weak spots are, where their teammates will be in relativity to those weak spots, and just getting comfortable understanding the way the scheme works. Wink has said so many times, he's really very open about what he believes in defensively. And he said so many times, I want them to basically be the master of destiny on defense, able to communicate, make changes, adjust on their own, be smart football players and versatile guys that can blitz, that can cover, that can make plays in the game and, and blow up some blocks. So having this game against a team like the Bengals, one had a pretty good offense, you know, sharp offense at times over the last couple of games leading to this Ravens game was really a good thing for this defense. I think it will be moving forward, get them in the right place. They've been stout against the run all year. The pass rush has kind of been good, but disappeared in that game and, and not been until today. And now you see the Ravens set an NFL record with the most different def- backs recording a sack in a game, five different defensive backs recording a sack. And that's a testament to the things that Wink talks about, about everyone being able to blitz. It's everyone off the bus has to be a blitz. And playing that positionless football where you see Hauser and Jude creating headaches for offensive lines as far as trying to account for them when they move around over the A-gap, over the edge, and then all of a sudden Deshaun Elliott Smith is coming and screwing off the edge untouched. And it takes plinned and high-level IQ offensive line and those pass protections to understand what they're doing. And the Chiefs had that. So they gave the Ravens a little taste of medicine in getting the ball out quickly and things like that. So... These lessons are being learned early in the season, and I think it's just going to pay off after the buy, the Ravens, that week seven buy now, and that's right the trade deadline. So if they're not able to maybe get that pass game going and a couple of things, 
they're going to be able to bring somebody in that'll add a little extra flair. I think like they did last year. I think the Ravens are going to start looking for trades to be utilized more. Just like the NFL doesn't use trades the same way like baseball do and football weird sports. You don't play games. It takes a lot of time to practice, but I would like to see them use the trade deadline if they're competitive. I'd like to see other teams do that are that are competitive pushing for playoff spots get guys in that can make plays and get them you know integrated into the offense not integrated uh get them move the offense by the playoffs by december by the thing so this ravens team has a little bit of work cut out but it's super strong. showed a lot of promise against these teams that beat beat that you're supposed to is the sign of a great ball team that puts you consistently in that 10 to 6 range at worst the Ravens used to struggle. They felt like they used to play up into their position. Now they're they're blowers off of people. Yeah, it kind of felt like a uh, hop into the lab and figure some things out game. And I mean, the defense it didn't feel like that. I mean, it kind of felt like they were just like, all right, rookie quarterback, we're gonna go out there, put him on his ass, however many times, turn the ball over on him, and uh, welcome him to the uh, AFC North, which they were successful in doing. But yeah, the offense in particular, feast or famine with the run. Like I said, some. Decent shots that they hit through the passing game, but uh, Lamar looked a little little shaky, I think it's fair to say, at times. But overall, I think a good performance from him. Had a weird interception, so kind of a weird game for him, but I don't know. People are trying to, and it's weird because we as Ravens fans see this happen a lot, where he is a quarterback under a, microsco- like a microscope under or unlike any other quarterback in the league. Like every single game that he plays, everyone is watching and like looking for these little things that they just got to pick apart. And like we get mad as fans when like national media, like looking at guys like Dan Orlovsky and Jeff Schwartz last year, just picking him apart every like snap he's taking. And to a degree, kind of like... Meanwhile, going into this year being like, Sam Darnold is probably the second best quarterback out of that draft. And I don't even mean to pick on those guys too much. It's just like a thing that kind of for whatever reason, Lamar is just that guy in the league that everyone is just zeroed in on and just looking for it. It's so polarizing because they have seen someone like him. So they, they don't know how to act. And sort of my, right. Yeah. And sort of my overarching point on it is that to an extent now, I think Ravens fans are sort of starting to do that contextualizing every snap that he takes against what he did last year as an MVP. And I get it. Like he set a high standard and you, you don't have to wear kid gloves and like treat him you know, like he, he needs to, like to have you at his defense at all times because he doesn't. He's a big boy. He doesn't, you know, have perfect performances every single game. But that's just what we need to get into our head. And I think what in particular we need to do is we need to take a look at a game where he didn't practice however many times this week. He was sick, not sick in the way that we say sick. He was actually physically sick. ill. He had a hurt knee, apparently, which, you know, I don't want to get into Jakey sources. I, I don't have any sources, but I was talking to somebody who was who is a little more informed, who said that that may have been a little bit more serious than people were making it out to be. And it's just kind of a tough week for him as a human being. And he still manages to go out there, throw two touchdowns, move the offense to a certain extent. So I don't know. It's just a thing where quarterback development, A, is not a linear thing. Team development and team success is not a linear thing. It's not a thing that's just shooting up. You know, there are peaks and valleys and things like that. And if this is the valley where he's going out there and just kind of figuring it out, maybe forcing it to his favorite targets a little bit, but still throwing for two touchdowns, producing 21 points on offense, whatever it was. I feel like that's a pretty decent Valley. And like, you just gotta, gotta be a little more, you gotta, it's not a video game. Like you have to bring context to it. You have to understand that these guys are human beings and that every single week is a different week. It's a different game. And yeah, I mean, it's just kind of pretty much all I have to say on it. Yeah. It's very reactionary. And when you look at the 10, 
I guess the five games that the Ravens have played and there's kind of 10 quarterbacks involved in those five games, obviously two from each team. Has Lamar Jackson from that Kansas City game been the second best quarterback in the game once? No, Since, yeah. he hasn't. So we've had Baker good damn thing. I mean, they're not playing against, both playing against the Ravens defense, but he's been winning games because he and the better quarterback, the Ravens have had the better offense against the Browns, against the Texans, against the T football team, and again against the Bengals. So it's not like I get it and and you putting on the kid gloves and, and that stuff. I agree. I mean, no one was more critical of Lamar Jackson's performance in Pittsburgh last year than me. I was I sounded the alarm that there was trouble afoot. And it ended up being an MVP season. So I'm guilty of it. It's always guilty of it. you mentioned guys like Orlovs and shorts and stuff, and it's like Oh, I, I'm, I've been sick laying in bed. I usually don't watch NFL Live. I used to when I was. I was going to say, what, what put you in the situation where you were watching NFL Live and like Dan Orlovsky say whatever the fuck he said? He just boiled my blood. He caught, he's caught me, and I've been sitting here in bed all week. So I'm, I'm getting too deep into the, the comments and the narratives and all the bullshit that isn't actual, you know, breaking down. You've been fiery this field. week. I kind of like it. I've been sick and I've been a little feisty. I've been trapped in my room, so I guess I'm kind of playing cat and mouse with the freaking internet. And I I flip on NFL Live. It's the middle of the day. I watched every single fucking Netflix series that I watch. So I, I flip on NFL Live and Orlovsky is just going on Lamar. He's missing practice for the he can't hold up in this league. He takes too many hits. We all know that. So now his knee is messed up. And I'm just like, dude, they said he had the sh- he had a bubble gun. They said he had to go home because he had to keep going to the bathroom. Like What's weird about what's weird in particular about Dan is he's been kind of a flip flopper on this issue. Like he has come back around and he's come back around and said, yep, I was wrong about Lamar. The guy's great. And then like he'll say this kind of stuff. And it's just like, dude, like, why not just relax a little bit and say, like, yeah, this guy is like a young developing quarterback and it's fine. Like I and I get that it's like it's ESPN and he has to do his his takes and he's got a he's a he's a talented guy to his credit. Like, I think he's when he actually puts on the film and does breakdowns and stuff like he knows what the fuck he's talking about of course he's an nfl quarterback a high level college quarterback but it's just that ticky tacky stuff and it, it's a microcosm i don't even call it a microcosm i'm using that word too much lately but it's a it's a good word isn't it le- it's just it's always it's appropriate a lot it's a it's a smaller sample in the, that reactionary thing that you mentioned where every single play of this offense and of this team is like oh my god Lamar Jackson threw an interceptable pass. What the hell is going on? Greg Roman, what the fuck, dude? No. They're sustaining drives. They come out of they come out they put up 17 points over their first three drives. Touchdown or field goal, touchdown, touchdown. The first three times the offense touches the ball. Defense gave him great field position on a turnover, I believe, on the third one, but put the ball in the end zone in the red zone. That's how you win football games. Not turn the ball over a ton. Did he have a couple of throws? Yes. So does every single quarterback throughout a game. We watch. I just think that people need to go watch other football games. Ravens fans need to go watch other football games and pretend that they're, it's their team and Lamar is the quarterback and then judge them through that lens. And I think you're going to be very surprised at how poor the play is when you have these uh, perfect, I'm trying to think of the right word, You uh, perfect views of what quarterback play should be. They're not on target 100% of the time. They throw balls that can get picks. They throw picks. Jackson has thrown three picks in the last 337 passes he's thrown in the regular season. But he still does throw some picks sometimes. He is one of the more 
turnover sound quarterbacks in the NFL in terms of holding on to the ball and all this negative commentary coming out of a game. And then you look at the scoreboard and it's like 10 to nothing, 17 to nothing, 20 to nothing. They end up winning 27 to three. Meanwhile, we watch the 49ers get bludgeoned by the Dolphins. Both of those teams are two and three. The Jags and the Texans play this shit show of a game where the Texans end up prevailing. Like the Cowboys lose their quarterback and are in a shootout with the Giants who can't do a damn thing right. And it's like, I get it. You have high expectations of the team, but in the grand scheme of things, win, win, loss, win, win. All four of those wins were by at least two scores. DC scored at the last, we, were told, we talked about it last week. These were able to kind of make it look like it wasn't quite necessarily as bloody as it was, but seven to three. And that three was with a minute left. So take a step back, realize this team is going places. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They play the Eagles next week. We'll get that all in another episode, but probably going to be five and one. Really good place to be in with a team that will seem to think has struggled so heavily while blowing the doors off a team to beat. Yeah, and I hate to, I don't want to, I don't think we are, and I don't want to come across as like, you know, analyst douche that's like, oh yeah, stop overreacting. That's what fans do to an extent, and that's okay. And particularly in the NFL, it's one game a week. So it's every week, and you've got that game seared into your brain for the next six days, and that's all you've got. And as a result, you're sort of hyper-analyzing it as it's going on. And that makes sense. I mean, I get it to a certain extent. I'm just telling anyone who's listening that's concerned that you don't have to create these meta problems out of these minor things that are happening on the field. The NFL is a week-to-week league. And I think, I forget where I saw this. I think it might have even been after the Chiefs loss. Somebody said that, uh, you know, like people were talking about how they could learn things from that game. And somebody said, well, respectfully, like they shouldn't have to be learning this year. They came into this year as, you know, a Super Bowl favorite and they're they're supposed to have already figured it out. It's like, what the fuck? How, how do you come to that conclusion? Like, look at the Patriots in 2018. Nothing was working for them. Not until the end of the season when they're, you know, limping into the playoffs. And I think they were maybe... They the, peaked at the right time. They were the two the seed. Year. They peak at the right time. They get into the playoffs. They had been doing this weird, like, passing offense with, like, hobbled Gronk. And, like, Edelman was maybe in the picture, but he wasn't good. They just start running the piss out of the football with Sony Michelle and whoever else. And they end up winning the Super Bowl just by completely changing on the fly, heading into the playoffs. And I'm not even saying that's what's going to happen necessarily. The, with the, the Ravens, Ravens in 12, when they won the Super Bowl, they lit understatement. They were wheelchaired into the playoffs after. Fell ass like backwards. Yeah. Five of center, six of whatever the hell it was. Yeah. Bryant McKinney in at left tackle is what's and Jim Caldwell becoming offensive coordinator won them a Super Bowl. So anything can happen. And in the context of that, like what we're saying is those were teams that were really, really struggling. This is a team that just won its last two games by two scores and just won 27 to three today on the heels of a historic defensive performance and a quarterback throwing two touchdowns and moving the ball, you know, generally pretty well. So let's like, let's maybe just all calm down a little bit. And this is the second week in a row that I'm saying, let's all calm down a little bit. I mean it this time. If you guys don't, I'm going to get, I'm going to get mad. I'm going to start, I'm going to start spraying the block. Jakey Knuckles is the person you want to meet. Yeah, see? Jakey Knuckles. See, the left one is Dr. Noisewater, and the right one, that's James Dr. J, or that's James West. You play your cards, right? You're just going to get to meet the whole crew tonight there. See? Exactly. So we'll get into We did a lot of, we did some mail forums and stuff, kind of. It's a weird episode-ish in that way. We're just kind of floating in the nebula 
like to say through it. Honestly, let, probably a good way, probably a good way to format these recap shows because we really have no format. So I think just throwing right the, and we uh, there's only so much we can break down. We watch a game like fans and then you know, whatever for a couple hours after the game. But think about the five games that the Ravens have played, and of course there are problems. So while we do want a few positivity and all that stuff, we'll we'll try and keep it very light and positive in the second half when we get these questions. But thinking of problems that have been through the five games, here's what I've got. Lamar Jackson has been a little antsy in the past. We saw that last year too. He hasn't had the elite perfect pockets he often last year. He's had good protection for the most part. If you look on literally any website that does data and analytics, he's had time to throw the ball. He's had some clean pockets. He's gotten a little bit of pressure. Some of that is self-inflicted. He has been a little jumpy in the pocket. That's been concerning. It feels like there is not a third horse game to Marjus, who gets completely blanketed every game and usually is able to make spectacular plays somehow. And then Hollywood Brown. And Hollywood Brown is a twitchy, tiny jitterbug receiver that matchup problems, but he's not the dominant dude that's gonna, you know, go break three tackles and and crush a team after the catch like that. He had some yards after the catch the last two weeks. Very happy with that. Overall, I think the offense is strong. They've been throwing the ball a lot. Might not be a bad thing, though, come playoff time. Defensively, the blitzing shit can work against the Chiefs. Been dominant as a run defense. The coverage has been pretty good. They've had pretty minimal bull in assignments, considering Tavon Young out again, Earl Thomas gone. So I think they're there. So in the grand scheme of things, the special teams has played very well. Tucker misses a 61-yarder, but as sharp as hell as usual. Special teams has been on point. Some good return from Duvernay. Prochet hasn't fucked any up. Little Lancy in the pocket. Against better teams, we'd like to see them maybe blitz a little tiny bit less or or press while they blitz and, and make the quarterback have to hold the ball against those blitzes. Other than that, this team's been rolling, man. They've been scoring points. They're putting up 20 points. They're on pace to – or they're, they, they've scored 20-plus in 28 consecutive games now. That is tied for the second longest such streak in NFL history with a quarterback that started that streak as a 21-year-old and is now 23 years old. The offense is scoring enough points to win. The defense is the best units in the league. They're really top 10, probably you know 5-7 defense on any given Sunday. They give people props. They have a complex scheme. Young quarterbacks can't even remotely do anything. So there's a couple problems, but when you go compare that to, let's say another really good team, the Seahawks, they're allowing 400 yards a game passing. They aren't shut anyone. Down. They're getting nothing out of their corners, but they've had an opportunist turnover defense. The Chiefs, awesome team, have less problems than the Ravens. It's probably why they won the Super Bowl last year. They lose today against the Raiders. The Raiders expose them with someone who could actually get deep, get separation, deep ball accuracy. You have to be able to score 40 points to beat them. Basically, the Chiefs don't have that many problems. They have the same record as the Ravens after they beat the Ravens. They're in a good place. Yeah, I mean, it's a situation where I it's we we I guess kind of keep rehashing on it, but like I keep saying, pretty much, it's not a linear thing. Like you just got to kind of hang in there, and you know, there's going to be peaks and valleys. And the Chiefs, yeah, I think they're a better team, but they lost today to a team that is probably not as good as the Ravens, frankly, in their home stadium in Kansas City. So. Shit happens is basically my main thesis for all of this. Shit happens. Like, this is a good team. Week to week, games are going to be different. Teams are going to bring different things to different games. They brought a game plan today where 
like I mentioned, this quarterback was severely hobbled. Like, I mean, he was sick and he had a knee injury that was bugging him. He goes in there and they still decide to say, hey, fuck it. You're our MVP. You're our guy. You're going to win this thing for us. And mixed results, I would say. But overall, probably pretty positive. He hooked up with Hollywood and Andrews plenty of times. People have concerns about that third horse. That is a concern. I'll, I'll acknowledge that for sure. But at a certain point, it's like, here's another thing with it is people not considering the human side of all of this. Like, it's easy yep. to sit here and 100%. say, oh, get Duvernay involved. Get Miles Boykin involved. You have to get these guys involved. It's like, guys, we're not in practice with them every day. We're not sitting in the meeting room with them. We don't know what... Sometimes you put those guys in the game, you give them a primary read, and the defense takes it away. Yeah, for sure. There's another you play against another team. Yeah, and I mean it's just one of the things where if you're not in the meeting room with them every day, you don't know what Lamar's relationship with Miles Boykin is, who he could not look on less of the same page with over the last couple of weeks. You don't know what Greg Roman's plan is for Duvernay, who's pretty much every time he's touched the ball made a positive play. So honestly, like I, would I want to see them get Duvernay involved to win this game 42-3 to as opposed to 27-3? to Or do I want them to just win it 27-3, to get Duvernay involved a little bit, and then let's say you got a money game you got to win late in the season, then let's whip Duvernay out. That's kind of where I'm at with the whole Duvernay thing. It's like, do we really need to be getting this guy involved right now? Because he could be a great ace up your sleeve late, like down the stretch, in my opinion. Because, like I said, looks pretty pro-ready, makes a play every time he touches the ball. And uh, that, to me, sounds like something that translates well to winning important games in cold weather with a guy on fresh legs. So maybe let's just save all the Duvernay stuff for now. It's it's not for me. It's like I, I would like to see him get reps for sure. And I think he probably played his career high in snaps against the Bengals. And we just don't know what he is yet. So far, essentially been a gadget guy. He's caught a couple crossing routes. He's caught a couple screens. He has a kick return. You know, nothing fucking crazy we haven't seen him running some beautiful corner post or post corner or uh, a comeback that just leaves a defender in the dust because he's such a good runner so it's it's okay do might be an x factor he might be a solid player an efficient receiver you can count on good all that stuff do we know that he is or isn't that yet no but we're starting to kind of pretend like he is and, and making some huge mistake by not making the offense feature him as like a guy. I agree with you. Ease him in, get him going, use him when you need to. But it's, you talk about being able to win this game 42 to three or 27 to three. And let's say the Ravens, you know, maybe Lamar Jackson is, you know, his knees bother, bothering him a little bit. So they don't run a ton of the read and stuff. They did call a power read and he got a nice, easy, like 12 yard gain. I think I got back on some weird holding call on pass or something, but they do all that stuff. They they run Gus Edwards 15 times. They give J.K. Dobbins nine carries. Mark Ingram gets 10 carries. Jackson runs a couple of those power reads, you know, those veers and bus bus one 30 yards. They went 42 to three. What did we learn about them? Nothing. What did Greg Roman learn about his personnel? Nothing. So when you're up 17 to nothing, 20 to nothing, 27 to nothing, work on the things that you're unsure about. Work on the thing. The Bengals defense or the Bengals offense was completely overwhelmed almost every single snap. On two-thirds of the snaps, they had no clue what they were looking at. They got nothing going, getting hit, turning the ball, or losing yards. So Roman comes out and threw the ball, gets receivers involved, starts trying to see what this passing offense is. And I think it was so important to do that. I'm not sure if that's what the intention was. It's impossible to say that. 
but I'm it. That way they can kind of assess Boykin. They can assess where Willie Sneed's at. They know kind of what they have in Hollywood, a pretty good receiver, not maybe the alpha type receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, DK Metcalf, you know, explosive after the catch, dog kind of guy, but they've got Andrew to know what he is. So let's see what these other guys can do. I wish they would have worked Prochet in a little bit more. And maybe you do want Dobbins to see some more touches and stuff. So, you know, he gets his pro legs under him or whatever. Dobbins in particular, I have a take on that. Like that is a guy save that guy's legs because that guy makes plays as well. He's another dude like Duvernay, maybe even more to an extent. I think if you need juice heading down the stretch and you've just got this second round rookie saying like sitting there with like not much tread on the tires, that's a perfect situation to me. So for the people that are healthy, healthy as hell. Yeah. For the people that are hand rigging about Dobbins, not getting involved. I am not on board with that at all. Like keep that guy on the shelf for as long as you need to. That's a good point. And and it feels maybe Ingram isn't going to next year. They kind of have an easy out there to save some money. So, you know, love the guy, his personality. He he's going a little bit today for the yeah. First made time. a couple plays there that, to really yeah. get the run game going. Yeah, it started. You know, you see that energy, you see him mouthing off and stuff. And he's one of those guys that needs to do that. It feels like to going, but with that, keep guys fresh. Keep these guys fresh. Have closers. Have guys you use in the second season, and you can have this team that goes through the course of a season with a plan from game zero, game one to game sixteen into the playoffs where you start as something with a plan, like a movie reaching a climax in the plot and achieving something that you intended to do when you set out to start the season. So is that what's happening? We don't know. We're not there yet. Maybe the Ravens just throw the ball 40 times a game for no reason every single week forward, and then we'll start to criticize them and start to react the way that other people have. But again, I learned more about this offense today because they had the benefit of playing with a monster lead behind a great defense performance than I would if they ran the ball 45 times, 95 yards, touchdowns. I think they could have done closer to B. They could have dominated the game a little bit more, those things. And so I think that's what's giving people this antsy feeling about the offense. But let's think about 20. No minicamp. Keys aren't in the facility until July. Limited training camp preseason no scrimmages like against other teams nothing four and one doing pretty good beating teams they're supposed to beat not playing down to level competition with a lot to improve on that's the big takeaway five weeks through the they're doing COVID year you have to give them a lot of respect for that and hopefully like i said there's a plan you and i you you seem to be really subscribing to the logic of like use Duvernay a little bit here and there, use Dobbins a little bit here and there, then bust them out down the stretch. That could be awesome. That could be absolutely awesome. I can definitely subscribe to that same logic. Let's see if they have planned when they play D, when they play Pittsburgh, when they play the Titans, some of these tougher games. If they continue to really use, make any moves, they don't acquire a receiver, we'll get into that kind of discussion. Maybe they should. Maybe there's different guys you can look at, what have you. But doing this in two months – and they end up, you know, seven and five, like what the hell time to really sound the alarm. That's time to panic. It doesn't fit they're headed in that direction, considering what happened last year and how similar this last year are with this year being an improvement so far. I'm not seeing any alarm. There are a couple areas where they need to improve, but we know they need to improve because time on the field, applying the passing game on offense. It sent people into this panic, but 
what do you do when you're blowing a team out? Like, think about it like a high school team. When you're when you see these ridiculous high scores, you're up 55 to. Nine. I'm sure my buddy Anthony Ronaldo, the offensive boys, we might have him on the show sometime this season to check in with him, get some some Maryland high school sports landscape stuff. But I guarantee, if he's up 50 to nothing, he wants to be 70 to nothing. But he also would prefer to learn about his younger guys, about guys that don't have a ton of experience, get them in the game, test them, assess them. So that way, when you're not blowing someone out, you know who you can fucking rely on or not. So I think this is a good thing in the end and we'll get into the listener questions and everything, but just there's no reason to sound any sort of any sort of crazy alarms. It's a wild year. The Ravens have navigated it very well. They had a situation with Earl Thomas. That was really like probably the shit show of the NFL season, to be honest. Sneaky. Yeah. People don't talk about it like that right now, but yes, because of COVID thankfully. Yeah. That kind of dug that under the defense. I've that and is, not letting up points to anyone besides the fucking Chiefs. So, got to be pretty happy to be a Ravens fan. Imagine if you were born in North Central Florida and your dad just happened to be a really big fan. You might be pretty envious of the people that get to root for the Ravens because they were born in this area, have ties to this area over the way that people become fans of teams. Take a look back. Watch some other football teams. They all have problems. The ones that only have a few problems do really well. And that feels like the Baltimore Ravens in 2020. And to some of those points, I think I got two here. The first is that like the whole thing about like how I keep bringing up how people are looking at it just from this meta angle of like, oh, what are they doing here? What do they do? Why don't they run the ball? Why don't do this? It's like it's kind of hard sometimes, man. Like this is a real like these are real people. It's not a computer sitting there. It's Greg Roman sitting there up in his booth. What do I do on this play to succeed? They run the play. What do I do on this play to succeed? Run the play. What do I do on this play to succeed? Run the play. Like, there's not always this meta thing where, like, oh, got to get Miles Boykin involved. Got to see what that's looking like. We have, like, that happens sometimes, but, like, sometimes they're just trying to grind out a fucking win. Like, wins don't come easily. And, like, you just want to do what you have to do to gain three, four, five, six, seven, eight yards, whatever you need to get the next first down. Just keep moving the sticks and keep, you know, ultimately just succeeding. So, I think uh, I think that's my main point. I'm kind of losing my train of thought on the uh, the other one, but yeah, ultimately I think yeah. So here it is. Like I think the main criticism of this draft was how it sort of eschewed positional value for depth, and so I think for a season like this, like we're not with the way that I'm sort of subscribing to. Dude, that was a really really sick stomach growl, but I'm not. Uh, Tommy Rumble. Yeah, that uh, you sound like Lamar there. I'm not. Um, Bubble guts, bubble, bubble, bubble guts. With me subscribing to the idea that they are going to, you know, sort of start to use these guys down the stretch, I think that works for a draft like this because you double down on wide receiver. You mentioned Prochet. You mentioned how Duvernay could get a little bit more involved. Um, I think, like, that's probably, for me, the approach I would prefer than, like, sit there in the second round, just keep your one pick and take, like, Denzel Mims, who, not for nothing, hasn't even really played for the Jets, I don't think, yet. So, like... I don't know. I just don't see like why there always has to be this meta thing. Like, oh, they drafted guys to be, and I don't mean to at Voss too like hard because here. People want to prove that they're hip. They're they have the insight. They they know why they could have done better. Yeah, and, was, yeah, right. You know, and I don't want to like it's add that classic barstool sport. It's like the name of barstool sports. Barstool sports because people sit on a fucking stool at a bar and talk like they're the GM and act like it's so fucking easy and yada yada while they're having a beer. And I get it. It's 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 nice to do, do that, but 
I don't do that anymore. I try not to. I, I take this a little more seriously. I spend a lot of time for resources about the sport, doing things like that. And it's just year over year, you start to realize that this Baltimore Ravens team has been really good for a long time and super competitive. To my point with it, basically, though, sorry, like, I don't mean to cut you off, but like, to my general overarching point with that was like, people are sitting there and there's always this meta thing. Like, there's always like, why aren't they thinking about Kansas City? Like, why didn't they draft to beat Kansas City? And I don't want to at Voss too hard, but this is his big take. And for me, it's like, I don't know, man. Like, maybe they just had a draft board and they just went into the draft and they just stuck with it and they weren't worried about Kansas City and they weren't worried about, oh, we have to beat X team and Y team. We have to worry about them. That's a poverty franchise mindset right there. That is the brother, sister, cousin of drafting for need, which this franchise does not do. And that's the reason why they're successful. So it might be might be frustrating after a 27 to 3 win. I get that that's really hard to have to go through as a fan. But maybe like we just we overthink some of this shit a little bit too much. And we're a smart fan base and a lot of smart people. But I think the the sort of double edged sword of that is overthinking to a certain extent. So that's sort of my my overall take on it. Right. And getting into the the value position stuff, whatever, I mean, at this point, how many roles are making a bigger impact than Patrick Queen, who has, you know, not been some amazing cover linebacker yet, but that's very rare for rookie, but is stripping the ball flying to the football, making tackles, stuff runs, forcing fumbles, all making these high impact plays. His teammates seem to freaking love him. And the Ravens got him at number 27. So it's like 28, Andrew Thomas, 28, pardon me. And left tackle fourth overall pick number one offensive tackle on the board. You can roast me on that one. Really struggling. They would have had to trade up to get someone like CD lamb. They, they would have, if you fell another like pick or two, but you can't rely on rookies to be the defining players on your team. They have to be like complementary pieces unless you're picking in the top 10 and it's a guy that you want to build a franchise around. So in the grand scheme of things, we see Dobbin contributing. He looks good. That's something to be happy about. As James Lynch, a guy that I freaking loved, and they published James Lynch making plays. But these rookies are contributing. Duvernay, get turn for a touchdown. Prochet, a good punt returner. Dobbins, helping out for sure. Queen player, like all these rookies making a strong Harrison getting on the field, Matabuke rotating in today, like Broderick Washington is rotated in. Harry Phillips has not played stellar, but he's been starting and, you know, part of a team that went three and one while he was on the football field. So, well, but you rely on these guys to be the ones carrying the team when you have super aspirations. They just have to tear on top, and it's hard to get those cherries when you're at the background of the back of the first round every single year because you're a good football team. So it's like a good problem to have like, Oh, we have to pick late because we're good. So we have to find these really solid players, despite the fact that there aren't a ton left that we had super high on our board. So again, it's, it's not as easy as it appears. That's why they make a lot of money. It's big money business. The GM makes a lot of money. The coaches, the players, the owners, revenue, people love it. All that crap. Take it easy. Ravens are four and one. Good stuff. Heading into Philly next week, but we'll get into some. Let's get into the questions now, where we've got a therapeutic session of basically Ravens Twitter us on edge and uh, making us feel a little bit attacked. So let's get down to the brass tacks. Those listener questions. We appreciate you guys. Uh, we have comments in here. We'll get as well. So we'll we'll those at some as well too, and and try and get out of here without making it too crazy. You starting on IG or am I starting on Twitter? 
I got uh, I got IG. I'll pull them up. Let's cool. see. Give me one second. There we go. All right. We've got a lot of the usual songs, a lot of options pouring in. Doing a mailbag after a game is an explosive idea. Maybe we'll start doing that more. I think that's probably the going uh, around. I think that's gonna be the format. Yeah, that's a good idea. So Grant too, one of our frequent flyers, asks, should Take a back seat to Gus and Dobbins. Gus kind of RB1, Dobbins Ingram running three. We touched on that a little bit. How are you feeling about this kind of running back rotation, Jake? I kind of like it right now. Like I mentioned, like uh, you know, I don't want to get too crude here, but like I mentioned, I don't want them blowing their load right now. Like I don't want them to go out there in October and say, oh man, really need to beat the Bengals by 40 as opposed to by, you know, 25 or whatever they did today. Really got to really got to put our stamp on them. So let's go to J.K. Dobbins as the running back one. It's like, well, no, it's, it's kind of working working pretty well right now. So I'm kind of down with the idea of just sticking with what they're doing and then should a game happen where Gus really rips, rips off a big performance or J.K. rips off a big performance, like go to them. That's fine. But for right now, and with all the talk about how Gus is this like insane dominant, like number one running back. Like, I don't know. Like he's had some really, really good runs. He's played really well. I think he deserves to be fed the ball a little bit more, but like nothing that's shown me he has to be a bell cow back. And the idea of, of, to me, frankly, of a bell cow back in 2020, it's just kind of a little antiquated. So I'm just, I'm a little more with, let's just stick with the rotation. It's working right now. Maybe get Lamar a little more involved in the run. I mean, health permitting and all. But the, he just kind of hasn't really been moving too much, which, uh, you know, some some pros and cons to that. But I think uh, him getting moving a little bit more would uh, maybe help these guys get going even more than they already are right now. So that's my answer. Yeah, I, I like keeping all three of them kind of involved in the event that one of them goes down. Not this big, like, transition to getting a guy that hasn't been getting touches. I, I like kind of rotating them in the first half a bit more and then maybe leaning on the, the one that emerges as the quote unquote hot hand in the second half. That's just like some philosophical bull crap that doesn't have any statistical backing to actually make a good take, but the hot hand, I think they watch the big short to get that uh, explained to you. Yeah. 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 That's the big short movie. I actually might watch that. after we get off here? But yeah, I think these backs are, are all pretty, effective i think ingram has kind of struggled mentioned on social media he was dead last in the nfl in rushing yards under expectation as opposed to over expectation he was losing 0.76 yards per carry as to where next gen stats thinks he should have been but we saw him get going today we saw a little juice start to flow and we see dobbins with a huge carry but like you mentioned i like i like that idea that you mentioned jake where you keep him a little bit of a mystery and maybe you have a couple plays tucked in your pocket. You pull up in November, December, and maybe they don't even have those plays installed yet, and they kind of think of them as they go. That that tends to happen. You add wrinkles to your playbook throughout the year. But I like that there's three guys involved. I like that if someone misses time with a fourth a with coach. a fourth guy, by the way, who's just sitting there with like great athletic ability. And showed some promise, had some really strong runs last year, ran through contact, able to another speed demon, able to get to the side. So it's like they're probably going to have a three back rotation again next year. If they hold on to Edwards, maybe, maybe not, but Hill, maybe fuck yeah. yourself. There's even a fourth guy and it's a good problem to have. They have too many good running backs. They, it's not that they don't have enough good ones. It's a good problem. Something that coaches like to have moving on. Githens Mazer, another frequent flyer P queen ultimate fantasy pickup this week. What is the ceiling for this defense over the next three or four games? 
Well, I think Philly is starting to get their footing a little bit, but they still turn the ball over a lot. They still don't have the consistent receivers. You saw Travis Fulgham, Fulgham, however you say his name, I'm sorry. Fulgham. Um, go off today. He's the Fulcrum from Blacklist. Go off today. Lizzie. And they have, you know, Dallas Goddard on the IR. Their offensive line's pretty beat up, so that feels like it's going to be another pretty tough game for Wentz, whose mechanics have been poor. I've watched a lot of Eagles games for work, and not great, Bob, not great, Bob. But I think this defense can kind of start to peak as they head into the second half of the season, especially after that bye week. And they feel really fucking good, man. They don't blow assignments a ton. They're confusing the hell out of opposing quarterbacks and offensive coordinators. The coverage has been good. Tackling has been pretty good. The pass rush has looked better than, you know, what people were making it out to be a couple weeks ago when they really struggled against the Chiefs. But uh, I think that they're finding their footing, and this is a defense that I'm sure we're going to wait. If you wake up tomorrow and put on good morning football, they're probably going to be like, holy crap, this Ravens defense can win a Super Bowl. They're that good. They have that many players on it, and they should because they're the most expensive defense in the NFL, the most expensive secondary in the NFL. This team kind of built itself to rely on that defense, forcing turnovers, and they've been doing it, man. The fact that they're forcing turnovers consistently and like multiple per game is so encouraging, whereas this defense kind of was really solid last year but didn't make teams cough the ball up quite as much, and we're seeing that evolve this year. So I think this defense's ceiling is the best in football among the top three to five for sure. Next four games, you got Stinky Carson and the Eagles. It feels like, like you mentioned, they were finding their footing a little bit uh, a little bit today. Got Jalen Hurts in the mix. He had a nice completion. Uh, not really intimidated by their offense, though. So I think the defense, they're going to have their hands a little bit more full, but they're going to be able to take advantage, I think. Steelers, that's a tough one. I mean, that's going to be a tough game, no doubt. Um, I don't think the Steelers are as good as their record says, but I, they're probably pretty close to par with the Ravens as of right now as a complete team. Chase Claypool absolutely going off, so he's going to be a guy to keep an eye on in that one. Colts today, man. It feels like they're a quarterback away, which is funny because they went out and get Phillip Rivers. But they had two they had two big no goes today, Leonard and Costanzo, their left tackle, who's quietly very fucking good. Right, but yeah, go yeah. Costanzo is a beast as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, Colts. That's in Indy, so it's probably going to be a little bit tougher on defense. But Phillip Rivers not getting it done for me so far. And then the Pats. I mean, it all depends on if Cam is going to be back. I fully expect him to be by that point. So that's going to be a tough one. But it's in Baltimore. Probably their toughest game. Yeah, probably yeah. their toughest game will be the, pa- the Patriots. Absolutely, and it's in Baltimore, and um, it, that'll be a fun one. I think that's going to be probably your big test for the defense over that four game stretch. I like that response. Let's move on. LL Cool JC. Do you guys see the Ravens going to get another wide receiver and JM92, Justin Matabuke, good looking out there today? I think that it was imperative today, as I mentioned, that the Ravens gave put those receivers on the field, threw the ball around against a defense that's okay but not great, and really be able to assess those younger guys and those guys that basically aren't Hollywood or Sneed that are kind of more known commodities and say, what the, what do we have here? Well, where do these guys excel? Where do they struggle? Are their struggles so severe that we need to get one? I feel like the answer is yes, because this is, this is my ultimate reason why they need to trade for a receiver. Hollywood Brown does a really good job protecting himself. That kind of goes hand in hand with him not maybe being the most aggressive, like fight for the first down guy of all time, but he's a tiny dude. So I under, I completely understand it. They knew that when they drafted him anyway, if he misses five games, this passing offense is completely and utterly fucked. He is the the one that 
Jackson trusts in key situations on third down alongside Andrews. If Andrews misses time, that would be a devastating blow this offense. So I think they basically have to go get a guy like a Golden Tate or, I mean, the dream scenario would be someone like Kenny Galladay on a struggling team who's really good and isn't signed to a contract extension yet or something. But they they have to either find what Duvernay and Prochet are very quickly and probably still get a receiver that's a veteran, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, someone from the Panthers, I don't know, someone from a struggling team, whatever. Some of these guys are tough contract-wise. Yeah, some of these guys are, you know, if you want to get a guy who's not washed, they're going to be tough contract-wise. I saw Jamison Crowder getting thrown around a little bit. I think he's on like a $10 million cap hit this year, which is going to be tough. Well, it'll be, but if they do it around the trade deadline, then if it's mostly salary, that'll be reduced because he's been getting game checks. At this point, he has... Uh, 11 sixteenths of his contract to go to be paid. So it'll gotcha. take some of the, some of the smoke off of that. Okay. Um, plus if they need to borrow a couple million from Marcus Peters contract, that's sitting there. They can convert some of his uh, salary into a bonus and free up a couple more cap dollars that they need this year. They have the sixth most cap money as things sit heading towards 2021. So you figure maybe Ronnie Stanley gets a franchise who knows about Judon, but they've got a little bit of money to play around with. Um, of course, they do have contracts two years, three years from now that they're going to need to pay. But I think that it would be unwise of them not to bring in a veteran that stable presence in the event that Andrews or Brown go down. So it's tough. It's hard to predict that kind of stuff. Maybe we're a little bit too keen on that because of the Peters and all the commotion last year. But it just feels like that's kind of Eric DaCosta's MO where the value is really good. So we'll see what they do. Move on. CJ2KH. What has Marlowe done to get into this defensive player of the year looking form? How do you feel about Marlowe? How do I feel about him just in general? Yeah. How is, I mean, he's come a long way. So I bandied that. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned him coming a long way. I hated that draft pick at the time. I fucking hated it. Like I was, and I, I, I make you like get really mad. Yeah. Admittedly, I was, um, admitted sweet flannel, by the way. Thanks man. Vance. I admittedly, um, was one of those guys I, I was plugged in on the draft but like I wasn't watching guys individually and like I, I just kind of went with what the experts said and it was like oh this guy can't play the ball in the air he's physical you know maybe Jimmy Smith is his ceiling whatever and I was like all right like whatever we just they didn't need a cornerback I, I was pretty mad about it ever since the guy has stepped on the football field I have loved every like they played the Browns in game one that year I believe and he just looked like an absolute stud he hasn't stopped since and I threw this out on Twitter today and we got a question about it from I think Jameson, who's a a longtime listener, is he on pace for the Mount Rushmore? Because I think he probably is at this point. I mean, I, I as you just saw me go speechless and heard me kind of freaking blow raspberry, whatever I just did. Yes, because what can you say about him? Like, what is the argument as to why? And of course, he hasn't won a Super Bowl yet or anything. He but needs to do that, of course. You can't leave him off of it. I think is the best way to put it. You can't leave Marlowe off of. For me, so for me, it's invariably this for another like five years. Right. For me, it's invariably Reed, Suggs, and Ogden are the invariable three, and then the last two that you can kind of swap. You know, swap. I go Flacco. I tend towards him. If anyone wants to say Suggs, that's fine with me. Those are the two that you can kind of swap out. Marlon can, I think, cement a legacy bigger than Flacco or Suggs. He has the potential to be like a Charles Woodson, I want to say, in terms of just career from start to finish being a really high-impact defensive player that 
Woodson probably, you know, is going to pick off more balls or better ball skills maybe a little bit, but being a great tackler, being really smart, having a great mindset and attitude, great locker room guy, a bright, smiling, shining face. Great dresser. And great, great clothes, great cat, great attitude, hard worker. There's literally nothing not to like about Marlon Humphrey, and that's why he got $100 million. He plays with an aggressive like literally Cobra Kai straight out of Cobra Kai dojo strike first strike hard mentality. There is no hesitation for him to click and close on a screen plays like that. That's the stuff that really stands out to me. The outside run plays or, you know, those kind of wishy washy plays where the linemen can't find people to block and the DBs are kind of like, Oh shit, these linemen are Nope. Marlon just eats it, eats it immediately. That's my favorite part of his game. So I think that aggressive attitude plus if you go back and watch that he had, the it was like MMA. It was like a professional fighter. The way he wrapped around one side, ta- made sure to tackle with the other arm, and then kind of switched with his offhand, and then just boom, Cobra Kai strike first. Dude, it's also How? it's every other it's every other game. Like it's every other game. It's like why are you? Forget not throwing at the guy. Why are you putting the football in the vicinity of the guy? Like, he's just going to strip it out. Go down. Go down. <laughs> don't like, don't, don't let him tackle you. Do not let him get within a foot of you because he's just going to go. You mentioned MMA. He's going to be in the gym with Rogan this offseason, like, learning how to, like, get guys into headlocks and, like, doing DMT and shit and, like, punching footballs out. Like, it's Mike Tyson's punch out out there with this guy. So, Marlon, so Jeff Zrebrak, the GOAT, tweeted, Humphrey has forced three fumbles this year, two of which have been returned for a touchdown. Dating back to the start of last year, Humphrey has four picks, five forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, and two defensive touchdowns. So four picks, five recover, five forced fumbles, three recoveries, two defensive touchdowns. That is 15, 14 turnovers slash touchdowns he's been involved in. That is crazy. Him and Marcus Peters generate so many turnovers. And it's just wild because he's not an interception machine the way that Peters is. He doesn't have those ball skills. He figured out how to use his strengths to create turnovers in a very unique way. And I just think that is like, I just think it's awesome. I just think it's really cool. He's a, he's the MVP of the Ravens right now, man. He's a superstar, bonafide superstar. Can't say enough about him. Exactly. Moving on. Is Humphrey a serious DPOY candidate? We'll just leave it at yes. Moving on. Lamar, 37 attempts, and it felt like, why did the Ravens divert from the run so hard today? I think, Jake, you kind of touched on the knee maybe a little bit. I hope that the reason is because they wanted to assess in a blowout what they kind of had going on with with some of the just the basic passing concepts and uh, guys hitting landmarks, getting them some game experience doing so as well. Um, if it's not, and... It's just like Roman's just calling shit. I don't know. Then that's obviously maybe I'm just maybe I'm not seeing what everyone else is seeing. But like, where is this dominant run game that everyone's talking about? Like they're not gaining eight yards a clip like they're doing fine. It's a little feast or famine, though. Like it's not what it was last year. So like, why are we why is everyone just thinking that the secret ingredient to this offense getting going is just run the ball every play? Like it's not working like it, you know, like that. Like if they could think that. I think part of it is that that power read, that veer where Lamar has the outside give and gets pullers where he can find a hole. They don't want to make him do that against the fucking Bengals when they know they're going to blow the doors off of him. They don't want him taking those hits. He has, we mentioned he, who knows whether that's an actual concern or not, whatever, but 
why why make these option runs that you know work so well? We've seen them work. They had a 35-yard gain against the Chiefs. Lamar has a insane Michael Vick-esque highlight last week that no one even cares about. Acts like he hasn't done anything on the ground all season. They're saving that for when they need it, and it kind of makes teams forget about it. Plus, we've heard them talk about guys running up to the line of scrimmage and really playing those outside runs really hard. So I think they're trying to force themselves to take advantage of guys doing that, and it just hasn't quite clicked yet. Yeah, you know, it'll get there. It's fine. But it's just, for me, like, the thing is everyone's like, oh, run the ball, run the ball, run. It's like we say that every fucking year the offense is struggling to even some degree. We say it every year. We said it under Jim Caldwell. We said it under Mark Trestman. We said it under Marty Morningweg. We're saying it now under Greg Roman. And by the way, they're running it okay when they do choose to run it. It's fine. It's not dominant. It's not crazy. You got a nuanced enough attack here. You got some good weapons. You got a good quarterback. Like, it's fine. We don't have to, like, like lean on these certain things. We don't have to, like... Go back to the road. We don't have to like do all this stuff. They can do whatever they want to do. You, t- you see Jesse Bates talking a little bit about how they pretty much diagnosed that Lamar, oh, he was only throwing it to Andrews and Hollywood Brown. That's all he was doing. Well, he beat you 27 to fucking three. So like, what? what what's all the hand-wringing about this? Hollywood, line? five for 77 and a touchdown. Andrews, five for 65 and a touchdown. Those two touchdowns came 20 minutes of game time. So it was like, Yes, teams know what they're going to do. Yes, better probably going to be able. Yeah, to no, stop he's them. not wrong for the record, but like you didn't stop it, so okay. Like yeah, exactly. Like they could serve. They could serve to run to the ball the more. Bo- Go ahead. I'm struggling to pull up the box score, but it felt like you know Edwards didn't have those big runs that we've kind of seen him have today, but a couple first down runs. Ingram wasn't great to open, and then had like two or three really solid runs. Dobbins takes off down the sideline. The running backs probably averaged like. 50 Fucking eight yards of carry. Just like the passing game was feast or famine, the running game was too. I'm tired of everyone acting like this running game is just the dominant, like five yards a clip rushing attack that we saw at times last year. It's not that. It's still good though. It's fine. A little bit feast or famine. The first here and, and ten runs haven't gone that well. They've been in a lot of second and longs, and then God forbid you run the ball again. It's like it's precisely. Like reached... I mean, they've been put in a lot of bad spots by first down runs. Yeah, we've seen uh, Daniel Reese and I think Ken McCusick and some of those guys. Flirt and Yoshi flirting with those uh, with the EPA on first down runs. And last year for the Ravens, it was like insanely efficient for them to run on first down. And this year it just hasn't been, I think partly because of Yonda, partly because of, you know, a shortened off season with COVID and everything. And uh, another, the other aspect is we keep hearing them mention teams are just selling out to stop the run. And we haven't seen them take advantage in this blowout passing game, but Lamar's thrown nine touchdowns now through five games, like turn the ball over, thrown two picks, not awful, not spectacular, but he has a 10 passer rating. That is again, the highest passer rating. And if you exclude last be the highest passer rating in Baltimore Ravens history, it's like 111 going into this game. So feast or famine. I agree. I think that there's contributing factors. There's another question that kind of tied into it. I, I, Alex Smearman, will the rushing attack improve later in the season when defenses feel the toll of the season? Probably. The running th- attack always gets better later in the year. I think so, and it goes back to the point. Like, you've got a second-round pick who, to this point, has not been asked to do much. You have a fourth-round pick from a year ago who hasn't done anything, who is probably chomping at the bit. You have a guy who is suited to playing extremely well in cold weather, and you have a savvy veteran who maybe he's not what he once was, but he's shown the ability to still pop a long run here and there. Yeah, I think that Ingram Ingram gave me some encouragement today in that second half. Like very You know much what so, you know uh, who else he gave encouragement to was uh Pat Queen. 
He did. They've been they've been touting Patty Queen. He has been such an impact player. Uh, I'm sure there's a hundred questions about that. On did here. you see his video hyping him up? No, did he have like a woo woo? He did. Yeah, he did that kind of thing when Queen was getting interviewed. I think by CBS, he was kind of in the game well, an intro. Yeah, was, yeah, he did his thing. Hell yeah. See, Ingram's still great for the lot. I, I love I love Mark. He's probably he might even be gone after this year. He'll still be like on the short list of favorite Ravens to watch. Fun guy. He's he's one of those classic veterans that only plays for like two, three years in Baltimore, but then kind of like lingers in the scene. Steve Smith kind of. Like, yeah. Yeah. He he gets the vibes. He gets the vibes. He wish he definitely wishes he would spend more time would have spent more time in Baltimore. A foot chimes in complaint about the offense. Just lets me know that y'all weren't here from 2015 to 2018. Hashtag bandwagon. It's not wrong. Moving on. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but like, like we don't have to do that. You know, like we don't have to be like, Oh, you know, you weren't, you weren't here for that. It's like some of these people, some of these kids are younger. Like, you know, it's fine. Like it's probably a lot of, it's probably a lot of 17, 19 year old guys. Like if you see somebody complaining about that kind of stuff, like I think you probably know, you probably, it probably goes without saying what their experience with this franchise is. And that's okay. And you don't have to like try to ether them. Like they're going to find out that it's much more of a roller coaster than uh, it might have appeared. And you always need to get told when you're like 17 or 18, like you don't fucking know everything. Cause I know that I definitely needed to. Well, I definitely was told that many times, but I did not listen. Same. We're, we're stubborn boys here. At the old uh, at the old one winning drive podcast, aka Baltimore Beatdown podcast. Yeah, shout out to you for coming up with that name right now. That, that was that was yesterday. It was yesterday. By the way, I don't we're, I don't love it either. I'll just I'll throw that out there. I don't love it. That's fine. Sign twenty three, Queen Defensive Rookie of the Year, Marlin Defensive Player of the Year. Marlin has to be if there was like a DB of the year, runaway lock right now, has to be in that DPOY conversation. And then Queen, I think I think the only guy. I'm sure I'm wrong, and there's some dude in the Cowboys or wherever that is great. But Antoine Winfield Jr., I've seen be an absolute stud for the Bucks, and then Patty Queen. I'm sure Chase Young will come on strong at some point. He started out hot and then got that injury, so I don't know what he did today. But Queen is looking like the defensive player of the year, man. He's had multiple sacks, multiple takeaways, forced turnovers, recovered fumbles, scores a touchdown, leading the team in tackles. Looks really fucking good, man. He kind of reminds me of uh, he kind of reminds me of the Heat Miser out there. He's got his hair on fire. He's got the wide eyes, the great smile. I see that. He's the Heat Miser. The Heat Miser. I'm Mister Heat Miser. Yes, I agree. ZJ Batman, more Marlowe talk. Let's go with that. It's very positive. Okay, so some comparing to Tillman as far as force fumbles. I get that, but does it even come close in coverage, Marlin? I guess he's trying to say that Marlin is a better cover option than than old Tillman was I'm not gonna he's pretend like so I was young. breaking down Charles Tillman tape like he was a he I mean he was a well-respected guy. I know he was a good corner I mean I, I definitely know that I, yeah. I I don't know like I'm I'm watching Marlon Humphrey week to week I was not watching Charles Tillman week to week right I think Charles Tillman accumulated like 44 forced fumbles in his career if I'm not mistaken yeah now he's in the, he's in like the CIA or something Oh, yeah, yeah, he is. I forgot about Or the that. FBI or something like that. Let me look it up. Yeah, look that up. Look that up. But I think that the combination for Marlin of, of being so young, being a first-round pick, and coverage and takeaways, all those things, like, it's just, you're, if he can, if he finishes the year the way that he's, he started it, he's going to start getting talk into, like, a pretty high stratosphere of, of DB play as far as, like, trajectory of the career and if he does it again next year, we're talking about a, a gold jacket kind of guy, I think. 
Yeah, he's in the FBI. <laughs> he just retired from football in 2018 after playing with the Panthers for a little while uh, and is now just a member of the FBI. So impressive guy, that Charles Tillman. Mar- Marlon has a lot like, to live up to. He's probably like in Gotham right now, like defeating some sort of soup from the boys or something weird. Who knows? I could see it's it. crazy. I could see it. He's, he's like, pe- he's peanut punching like the, uh, the duffel bag full of cash that they just robbed the bank with and like tackling the guy. Yes, exactly. And we got him. We got him, sir, on the radio. Ladies Block 1134. Ravens still don't have a pass rush. How many teams can you blitz your entire secondary against? I'm going to say 31 teams you can do that against. Maybe even yourself if you do it in practice. 30 teams. 30 teams. That's true. 30 teams. You got me there. Yeah. Uh, I think against the Chiefs, they just needed to press more and maybe like tone down the stunts more so than not blitz at all. I'm I'm curious. I mean, of course, the Chargers have a great four-man rush. I'm the See, I was going to say I'm curious what the the Raiders did, but like Chiefs scored 32 points and Yeah, so here's how you beat the Chiefs. You score 40 plus points on the road and you hold them to 30 like literally 32 and like an inch of them getting the ball back and like driving down on you definitely getting the two, definitely going to overtime and definitely winning. That's how you beat the Chiefs. Seriously, and people look at the Chargers and the Raiders, but what is the what is the thing that separates the Chargers from the Raiders when playing the Chiefs? Number one, the Chiefs kick the doors off of them. Number two, they're in the same division. It's hard to play divisional opponents. You play them twice a year. It's it's just tougher to beat them. They understand Anthony Lynn. I think is a fine coach. John Gruden. I have a ton of respect for as a coach. I think those are pretty decent teams in that division. They're going to play the Chiefs tough at least some of the time. So that's that's my groundbreaking analysis there. Moving on, Mr. Joseph, do you see do, do you see Duvernay overtaking Boykin? His reps have been ramping up. I don't think they're going to ask them to do the same thing, but I think we'll see Duvernay have games soon where he outsnaps Boykin because Boykin is just like, I don't want to write him off all the way. He's still very young. He's made a few plays here and there, but... There is a disconnect. Fine young man, very intelligent, very talented. There is just no chemistry with him and Lamar right now. I don't understand why that is. I'm sure they're very friendly. Like, I just don't get it. Like, they're just not on the same page in the same way that Andrews and Hollywood are. And as far as Boykin goes, like, we keep talking about how Hayden Hurst is a big loss. Well, you've got this six foot four, 230 guy with great athletic measurables who's good in space. Line him up at tight end. Like get him open over the middle of the field. Let him let him do it that way because this boundary shit is just not working. And it doesn't have to be like he doesn't have to be like an inline tight end with his hand in the ground training with the tight ends. Every I mean, day, An- Andrews isn't even that. Right. Exactly. That's very true. Just kind of bring him in tight and ask a little bit less of of his routes and and kind of get him. It seems like he's only confident when he runs routes that allow him to see Lamar and work with Lamar, like crossers and digs and those in-breaking routes and stuff. And when he's on the boundary and it's outbreaking stuff or like timing and anticipation routes, he just might as well be five foot three, 106 pounds and have never stepped on a football times. Like he has looked very out of place in kind of being a professional boundary, boundary wide receiver at times. And that stretches back to last year too. There's just been, Something off on the timing, where the ball is headed. Like today, we see down in the red zone, Lamar seemed to change the play and like kind of rearrange the offense really quickly. It looked like it might have gone from a run call to a pass. Lamar changed it to a pass. 
I'm speculating here, but it's what it looked like. And Boykin just like he tries to lob Boykin a one-on-one ball, and Boykin just blocking five yards downfield for no reason. So yeah, like that's not on the same. Page. That's just a microcosm, microcosm ding. Uh, again, of microcosm. what's of what's going on here? Like they're just not on the same page, and I don't know. I think my brother was like maybe get him involved in like different ways, and that's pretty much where I'm at with him. It's like this whole where they're trying to make fetch happen with him on the outside. It's this boundary Bolden esque receiver. He's not that. Get him, like you mentioned, not necessarily in line, but in that close sort of split slot thing, and just let him run over the middle of the field and see what happens. Just let it, let him run. Let him run like he's... Throw him tra- some screens. Give him a reverse. Like, put the football in his hands the way that you're doing with Duvernay a couple times. See if you can get something kick-started. If not, he's going to have to take a backseat, and they're going to need to bring in someone. Um, Otavio Molar, one of our very frequent flyers. Would you trade a second or third round pick for Kenny Galladay? Yes. I would trade a first yes. round pick for him. I'm a little wary because they have to resign him if they do that. He is in the last year of his contract. On the condi- yeah, on the condition that they can resign him, I would trade a first round pick because the first yes. round picks are always at the end of the round and they're not nearly as valuable as everyone likes to say. That is the perfect type of receiver. It's like Allen Robinson or like a big, strong alpha receiver that you can trust in. You mentioned Bolden. Someone where you can just lug the damn ball up and trust that they're big trust, woo woo, trust that they're going to go make a play. And it feels like Lamar only feels any sort of relevant feeling of that with Andrews and Brown. And with Andrews, it's like he is so immensely covered. It is shocking that he still scores so many touchdowns. How do you not just. He's in a phone booth on every single play. Pretty much, pretty much. They sneak him out sometimes, like we saw him get a little, whatever. I don't even need to talk about that. But he is getting mugged. Brown is like working the field and he's really fast so he gets open. But it's like there has to be a receiver that can go one-on-one on the weak side, on the weak side ISO and go win one-on-one nine routes. And I want it to be Kenny Galladay. I want it to be Allen Robinson, those kind of guys. It's just really difficult to be like, oh, yeah, they have to go do this. Do the Bears want to trade Robinson? Probably not. Do the Lions want to trade Galladay? Probably not. It, it's just going to be some sort of ordeal where they creep closer to the deadline. Hopefully, they can pinch off a receiver. But how? I mean, how often do we see young receivers even traded that are doing well? No, I mean, like, like gold. it's a passing league. Like you want to hang on to these guys. It's the same reason pass rushers aren't going anywhere. Passing league, they have more value. Unless you trade a lot of draft capital, and that's like a first round pick. But at this point getting a 25-year-old receiver who has produced and and you feel like is a good fit might be worth a pick. If you want to go to the damn Super Bowl this year, if not, it's a really strong receiver draft next year. Rashad Bateman, Waddle, Devontae Smith. Um, you know, there's 20 guys again. It's like the trickle up of seven-on-seven football in high school is like working its way to the NFL. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, we'll go to the last one here. From this set, Grant H2 asked a second question that I enjoyed. Deshaun Elliott is really finding his form starting for the Ravens. What is ceiling this year if he stays healthy? I think he's not going to give you exactly what Thomas did in that he's not cutting off one side of the field for you, but he's going to be serviceable in what you ask him to do, which you mentioned him covering deep zones. He does that pretty well. He also comes up and he has a nose to play against the football. I think that might be his preference as a he's player. He's a hitter, man. Yeah, he's a hitter. He, I think that's kind of his preference is to sort of creep up and make plays against guys who have the ball in their hands. So we saw him, you saw him get a sack today. 
really big for him for confidence and everything. And he's another dude that's just out there playing with his hair on fire. I think he, he, you know, is excited to get this opportunity because he, he struggled at Texas. You know, obviously he wanted to be a much higher draft pick than he was entered the draft, maybe a little bit early ones up being a six round pick. And, uh, he knew it was going to be a long road. He's finally getting his opportunity and he's capitalizing on it. So a lesser version of what you get from Earl Thomas in coverage, uh, you know, just kind of serviceable and uh, a dude who is going to come up and maybe mix it up a little bit more than Earl Thomas was uh, willing to do at his somewhat advanced stage, not advanced necessarily, but he had some tread on the tires for sure. Yeah, Earl Earl wasn't terribly interested in really, you know, going and hitting running backs, big guys, stuff like that. You understand why he's coming off two broken legs in like three years, whatever. Don't care about Earl Thomas anymore. But Elliot. I all those things you mentioned aside from what goes on on the field like ha- you have to root for that dude so hard you mentioned a late round pick that didn't quite make sense he had six picks in his final year at Texas was a big time playmaker drops in the draft really far comes in works his ass off in the preseason he looks like a stud in the preseason his rookie year has that stupid forearm injury works into the rotation again finally last year tears his ACL comes back from that Thomas departs he gets an opportunity had multiple sacks this year is a hitter as we mentioned he hasn't really been getting like freaking toasted deep or anything i don't think he's really had a chance to like go make a play on a ball deep or anything of that sort we saw him try to recover when marcus peters blew a coverage but yeah it's just that that whole secondary and peters we saw blitzing today getting a sack and a strip like at this point they're kind of just becoming amoeba like rotate them on through somewhere be water my friend plays be water my friend so yeah, that does it for this mailbag. Some good questions. Appreciate it. Um, you know, general sentiment. Maybe they should get a receiver. Defense is awesome. Let's see what the passing game can do. Yep. So we can throw it into Twitter, and I'll try to keep it to ones that uh, we or are unique to what we have not already talked about. So Zeej Batman, uh, our guy, need a wide receiver. He parenthesizes Gallup. Yeah, I can see it. Boykin isn't getting it done. We touched on that. This offense won't be able to compete against more competitive teams if it plays out played today. I think we touched on that. Every game is different. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Also, great game by the D. Yes. Curious about your thoughts on the O-line. Seemed to be a lot of shuffling. What would you what'd you take away from that today? I know we only saw the TV copy, but uh, any takes on the O-line? I really like that they um, that they were getting powers in there a little bit, getting Macari in there, getting some some rotation going. It feels like that right guard spot is is really up in the air still as far as one of those three guys, including Phillips. They're, they want to give, they're kind of opening the competition back up a little bit. And it feels like in practice, it's going to be, you know, who's making the least mistakes, who's really standing out with the playbook and the concepts and shit like that. So I'm excited. I'm kind of excited. I like when there's a competition like that in the middle of the season. It goes back to the, it goes back to them figuring it out in a game like this, right? Like you got the opportunity to rotate some guys in and see what you got. So go for it, which they So let's, let's hope that that is a great point that that means they were experimenting in this game, especially in the second half, focusing on the passing offense because they don't feel as confident as the run game necessarily rotating different guys to play offensive line. Like pretty much feels like they were scrimmaging the Bengals at, after it was 17 to nothing. Like they started, they started working around and I, I, I like what wink wink was probably like, Hey Greg, if you want to work on some shit, I'm, I'm going to hold these sons of bitches down and take their lunch money and eat them upside the head pillow sack full of bars of soap. Like they couldn't do a th- on an offense. The defense was so, the, right. uh, the defense was the henchman that was holding the, uh, the poor victim down and the 
uh, offense was the mob boss, just kind of going to work on him a little bit with a pull cue. Oh, one, two, one, two. Uh, yeah, so good stuff there, rotating those guys. Um, I saw Bradley Bozeman. I, one thing I was able to catch when they when they gave us an end zone replay, there was a stunt. The Bengals had a little bit of success with some blitzes. Lamar got kind of flustered when there was a free rusher when they brought six against five blockers. There was a blitz, or excuse me, a stunt where I think Dunlap or uh, Lawson might have looped inside, and Bozeman just didn't see it until it was too late. Well, he, he probably should have seen that because stunting is a habit. Get like me. He no, 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 no. Ass. Absolutely hauled ass to recover and just barely punch into the shoulder, like lunging and diving, laying out, punching into the shoulder to push the defender past Lamar. Lamar stepped up and made a throw on third down. I think Lamar was better on third down passing than people uh, kind of. He was money. I thought he was money. Especially in the first half, he went through four for four on the first touchdown drive on third down, including a third and goal strike to Mark Andrews. That touchdown to Andrews was filthy on both. I just I tweeted that. Yeah, I actually just retweeted that out. Um, Just the kind of the head and the pump fake as the rush is coming, he steps up and he just does that little arm angle whip thing where he just like puts it right where it needs to be. Andrews absolutely getting mobbed and he still brings it down. So as much as people want to lament the fact that he's maybe forcing it to Andrews a little bit, it is working in the, Uh, in these games at least. Yes, it is. And that was incredible ball placement. You saw him able to deal with that free rusher with a, with a plan. And that's why it was kind of strange when he struggled with it so much later, but when he gets down in the red zone, his like pupils kind of dilate and things are a little different for Jackson. But I was very encouraged by by the offensive line, by Stanley. We saw him getting out and getting on some blocks. I think that the Bengals gave him a little bit of trouble with those blitzes, like I mentioned. We'll get into that and see what was going on. I know Cole Jackson's really excited to see what Ben Powers could do. I am too. So I think uh, think it'll be fun to go back and watch the tape. So we'll see. Uh, TBD, I think this unit has been a lot better than they've been given credit for, while obviously they definitely would prefer to have Marshall Yonda like they did last year, but Yonda had to go. It was his time. Coming across the wire now, Falcons fire coach Dan Quinn and GM Thomas Dimitrov following 0-5 start. I saw they, I saw they fired Dimitrov. I didn't know that they uh, they fired him as it's well. It's going to be tough with those uh, those three-piece suits out of the building now and the hipster glasses, but, you know, that's tough. And then, you know, Dan Quinn, obviously, a Salisbury Seagull, just like the kid, so uh, hopefully he lands on his feet. But uh, uh, another He's one— He's going to be a hell of a defensive coordinator somewhere in, like, year. If Wink Martindale gets a job this offseason, bring him on here. Uh, sure. How did Pace, this is from Evan, who he says, he he ends this with, I don't know, man, I need to learn how to ask good questions. I think this is a good question. How did Pace factor into the way the Bengals game went? I was listening to the Bengals calls. I think he's located uh, out in Indiana or something. I was listening to the Bengals call, and they were lamenting the really quick Cincinnati drives. Can't help but think that was a part. Yeah, I thought that. I think that's a astute observation. They were playing a little quick and a little frantic, which is going to happen with a young team sometimes. And they just got overwhelmed by the uh, defense who just kept them in front of them as a result. They just stomped on the Bengals offense. They had no explosive plays. Burrow was able to float a couple, you know, decent passes to the sideline and uh, move a cut. They had a couple first downs, like what, 10, 11, something like that. At one point they had seven sacks, seven punts and seven first downs, which is big time jackpot. Uh, slot machine vibes, but it was a total beatdown. The Bengals 
did not have the ball in this game. They either were getting sacked or offense was on the bench. For sure. Uh, ben Walks, frequent flyer. I don't know. Not mad at the performance at all. Neither am I. Watching the defense play like that is so fun. Offense needs a lot of dog or dog adjacents on the current roster. What did you see from Matabuke today? Uh, offense, you know, they got, they got some dogs slash dog adjacents. I thought Miles Boykin was dog adjacent, maybe being proven wrong on that. Duvernay, maybe though. So keep, keep, and, and JK Dobbins. So keep an eye on those guys. But what did you see from, uh, Justin Amatabuke? I didn't see him out of place. I didn't see him making egregious errors. Um, kind of, there was so much going on in the pass rush. I kind of struggled to really keep, except for the replays. Um, I, didn't see anything discouraging and I didn't hear the broadcast. I want to say I didn't hear the broadcast like mention messing up as a rookie or something. But then again, that was the worst TV broadcast I think I've ever heard. The, <laughs> Lamar. I don't, we haven't even talked about that. No, I was going to, I, I, I was thinking we should work that in at some point, but uh, yeah, old Lamar Murray. And the boys, that, should been, that should have been what we led with. Yeah. I, Lamar, I, I, I really Lamar should Murray. have. That was, that was a really, that was a big miss by me. I apologize for that. Both of us. It's pretty crazy that we didn't mention that until now, to be honest. And then, but, well, I actually had a really good tweet, by the way, on that. I don't know if you saw it. I don't think I did. I uh, I think it went semi-viral, maybe like 50 retweets, something or so, a couple hundred favorites. Uh, from, but the po- from the podcast? As soon as, no, from me. Uh, <laughs> as soon as it kind of started happening the third time or so, I was like, yeah, Bryant Gumble really needs to learn how to remember Lamar Jackson's name. You know, Bryant Gumble is, you know, Greg Gumble's brother. Kind of works on a couple different levels there. I'm not going to lie. I confused Bryant and Greg. I think like people, today. so I think people were all, like unironically started to say, what's going on with Bryant Gumble today? And I was like, guys, like <laughs> it was a joke. Like I, I it's Greg Gumble. Yeah. It's, it's... Uh, shout out, the... shout out by the way to the old family guys get uh Gumble to Gumble where they're like uh detective. Oh like, my God. The private detectives working together. That's, that was a good family guy cutaway. Family Guy is so incredible. I want to watch Gumble the Gumble. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just that. The Basically, any time that they commented on like why a play didn't work or something on either side, it was ero- it was just completely frivolous and erroneous to the point where it was like, did they are, did they eat THC gummies? Like, are, are they stoned out of their mind right now? What the fuck are they talking about? Rich Gannon was like, Rich Gannon was like, oh, Lamar Jackson basically was just, you know, tuck it and run it at Louisville, like, Oh yeah, dude, he freaking sucks. Like, I was like, all right, dude, Rich Gannon, Tony, you're just mad. Tony Siragusa literally broke your life in the AFC Championship in 2000. So, sad. Uh, yeah, okay. And, um, got a couple more here. Yeah, nothing we haven't already covered except for this uh, really sad hatchet job by Voss. How much better is Cook's arm compared to Trace Unitas? Which you know we're not <laughs> even going to acknowledge that. Nobody throws a better spiral than Sammy Cook, except for maybe Joey Flacco. Sam Cook, Sam Cook throws a tight spiral, but my response was find me a sorely. find me a rap song on YouTube that extols the virtues of Sam Cook as a quarterback. And maybe I was say, Trace McSorley throws it on a dime, bro. Like he's not even trying. Just a kid from Briarwood, but Trace McSorley. Let's see him. Let's see him suit up this season. Let's. I, I hope the if there is a possibility for them to be a 14 and two team again and play a meaningless game and everyone flip out about it again, that'd be so sick. Let's get trace Unitas involved in the game plan. How TikTok would TikTok would have to actually be shut down. Trump would be like, this is egregious too much trace McSorley content. We're pulling the plug. Fuck you, China. 
Yeah, you were actually uh, talking to me offline a little bit about how this whole COVID thing has revealed that you're actually not filled with DNA. You're filled with USA. So some good uh, parallels there between you two that you were you were just mentioning. Hell yeah. But Trace, I wonder if Trace can punt. That's the real question. Like, I, I want to see like his little Sam Cook I feel like he's a little squatty for that. Let's see, please. He is a little squatty for that. You're right. Let's see Trace and Sam Cook have a punt pass and kick competition. I would love to see that shit. Yeah, we need it. I'd Venmo Ven- Ven- 50. Okay, I like that. Pay-per-view. All right, bud. We have get been Tucker going. Tucker Tucker will be the commentator, and then he'll just hit a couple. Well, he's going hi- to totally hijack it and start doing like his rapping and like opera or whatever. Rap so, opera. Yeah. Maybe Tucker we- should have been cast in Hamilton. That's like his forte. Yeah, I could see that. Maybe he'll Thinking maybe back. instead of going into the FBI, he'll like go to Broadway. Justin Tucker, future star of Hamilton in like twenty. How many more years do we think Tucker's got here? Uh, at like least twenty twenty. At least ten. He's I in think. like year eight. Yeah, he's probably. I think year he's eight. thirty right now. Damn. Gotta think he plays until he's at least like thirty seven, thirty eight, probably f- like around that eight range. I think he Kickers makes can, it. I think he makes it to like forty, honestly. I'd say I'd, I'd say he has a lot that he wants to do after football. So I, I think if the Ravens win like a 27, 28 Super Bowl, maybe like maybe a little bit of an early exit. Yeah, but maybe he hangs around. Like some of these guys hang around until they're like four. Like Vinatieri obviously Cook, went. To Cook the, is in year fifteen. Yeah, I mean Vinatieri is stayed around till he was like forty four with the Colts. So I could see Andersons. Andersons were in the fifties. Yeah, they were. They were old as fuck. Yeah, I, it depends on Elam was around for a while. It depends on a if he wins another ring and I, like I don't know like what he would have to do. We we need Kyle on for this, but what he would have to do record wise to basically just make it not even a conversation between him and Vinatieri because I think as players it's not, but he he doesn't quite have the resume. He needs he does he can't you can't touch Vinatieri's like playoff records and stuff. Yeah, I, like he's not going to win four Super Bowls, but I think if he if he gets at least one more likely to then you can probably give the nod to tucker hell yeah it sounds like we're getting concluding with this let's run through through some quick comments before we get out of here from the stream a lot of ravens fans overreacting to this game but the ravens didn't get rolling until week six or seven kind of what we said he said jay that was jay will 501 said people are spoiled from last year you yep. tend to agree there tonner mccormick hey guys glad i could catch another stream keep up the good work uh, wondering what your opinions what wink should do against mahomes defensively next time I think they should still blitz, but I think it should be zero blitzes, cover one blitzes, press the living shit out of them. Don't do it all the time. Tone it down a little bit. Less stunts and strap up, play football. The blitzing, even when it worked, they got 40 pressures on Mahomes in 2018. Uh, Like Judon had 10, Smith had like seven. They hit him, I think they had 11 hits and three sacks, hit him 14 times then. Didn't work, didn't work. Like, didn't work. I think it. I think the question is actually more so: what should Roman do against the Chiefs next time than what should Wink do? They're going to have to outscore them. They're going to have to the offense to have a great day to beat the Chiefs. Uh, moving on. I did want to. I did want to quickly uh, throw something in. I saw a tweet that made me laugh. Uh, Patrick okay. Mahomes runs like he has an invisible beer in his hand that he's trying not to spill, and I can't get that out he, of my head. Yeah, he like doesn't move as like an elbow or something weird. Yeah, he never spills a drop. No, that's another thing he does perfectly. He perfectly can like he he'll, he probably fills up water in the middle of the night to the exact brim of the glass and then just like cups it overhand and just like walks to bed and like nobody drinks water as good as I do. 
My dad, I'd be drinking water. I'm so not the number four the water like, drinker like, in the he world. Take me to like he would actually take me to the Blue Jays like dugout and uh, dugout, and I would just like I would be able to fill up water and be perfectly, and then they would be like, "Wow, Patrick, like you're so good at that." You're so amazing. Anyway. You're the greatest thing since sliced bread, and nobody talks about you that way except for everyone. So you gotta get all mad and have really a chip on your shoulder. One, I'm fucking two, tired of this guy. Three, I'm tired of this clown. Times Brittany has spilled water. I'm fucking tired of this clown. Matt Eckert made Burrow look like Sanchez. It was a scene for Burrow. He had a, he had the after Queen hit him, he was kind of trying to hide a limp. It looked like a little bit. He took I was him. expecting a much bigger game from their offense. Well, we haven't even touched on that, but. Patrick Queen gave Joe Burrow a back shot. Pause. That was that was uh, tough. <laughs> he overran the sack, and then he was just like, "Fuck it, I'm not giving up on this play." Strips him he, and recovers it, which is always a big hustle play. Smacked him dead in the middle of his. I, I think one of the only things that Rich Gannon said right because he knows Tony Siragusa ruining his life. He said that Burrow's going to feel like he got hit by a truck and have a trouble walking the next couple of days from what the Ravens D did to him. Pause. Fire Roman. No. Fuck off. Matt Eckert, uh, again, loved that Hollywood had the return at the end. That was Hollywood sick. did have that return at the end. He kind of had some some juice going. He had like a 35-yard return. I thought he was going to run it back for a second. Yeah, Matt Eckert just kind of balled out by himself in the comments. 100% a game that showed our defense finding the L. Yes, sir. Elliot made plays. Uh, Queen was Zane. Queen was really man. impact plays. Just need him to get consistent in the second half, and it'll be awesome. Uh, is Matt Judon hurting contract with the offsides bullshit? He did get got once. I think the second one, him and Chuck both jumped, and it looked like there was actually a false start, but it was like fourth quarter, 27 to nothing. He so also there. perfectly timed a jump where he should have had Burrow, and Burrow just miraculously gets away. So there's another near miss on a sack that nobody wants to talk about. They just want to talk about the fact that his sack stat line isn't stellar. We can all just relax. on, on If Judon. you look at um, Duke May Weather, the O-line guru, he like went on a fucking tirade about people trying to say that like basically the defensive linemen shouldn't try to jump the snap and he went on a, a spencer rant saying 80 percent of sacks then are because they pro- jump the snap properly like if jj watt never tried to jump a sack he or jump a snap he would have like five career sacks you have to win off of the snap to win without like a coverage sack it's either a coverage sack or that def- probably perfectly time the snap um, finally, Mr. Hassan says, let's trade for Julio Jones. I love Hassan. He's in the, uh, the comments every week saying this Julio Jones time. Sure. I mean, they fire their GM. They're probably like, what the fuck are we going to do with this 31 year old? I don't know, um, man. I think he, people get a little too, too much money. I think people get a little video gamey with that stuff. Like Julio Jones is an all time important Falcon and he probably still has some football left in him. Just like the same thing with everyone's like, Oh, just trade for, just go get JJ Watt. Like, J.J. Watt is the most important Texan, other than maybe Andre Johnson, but probably, to me, the number one guy. I don't think he's going to want to leave. I don't think they're going to want to get rid of him because of the sentimental factors. I mean, you know, you don't always want to think about that stuff when you're trying to run a football team, but it does factor in. Julio and A.J. Green feel like they're in a pretty similar boat, except Julio went to a Super Bowl and has kind of been generally lauded as one of the best receivers of all time. I think, obviously, he is maybe a little better than at their peaks or whatever, but um, they just both are really banged up. They have weird, co- like Green is chise tag. Julio has a massive, massive contract. They're both on the wrong side of thirty. But if the Ravens made it work, it would be fun. That's all I have to say. It is very me. I like the way that you put that. It is like something I would do in Madden for sure. 
Yeah. So I think that sums it up. We're right around the 90 minute mark, one of our longer episodes, considering this one was kind of willy nilly. This was a fun one. I enjoyed it. A little therapeutic there for you and I at first. And I feel a lot more now. We had some fun. Uh, there was a lot of fun takeaways from this game. Again, the fact that the Ravens fought their entire starting secondary get a sack. Wild, wild, wild game. Forced three fumbles, had a pick there, three turnovers forced. Dominant defensive performance, a lot of fun. Appreciate getting on with you, Jake Knight, and uh, chopping it up. This is a fun one. Appreciate you joining me coming out of your uh, little little COVID fog here that has caused you to miss the, uh, was it just the one episode? Uh, yeah, I think I recorded last week after the DC game. And yeah, then <clears throat> you got him with Kyle and Boz. So you only had yeah, so you only had the one miss there during the the, uh, the getting sick through the global pandemic. So I, I have to give you a lot of credit for uh, for really getting back to it. Uh, that is much appreciated. Everyone listening, chiming in is much appreciated. You guys help to bring us this content here on a Sunday night when there's admittedly. Uh, not a whole lot to sort of draw from, and the fact that we only we'll do it. We'll do it like this from now on. You're definitely right. Let's. Uh, we'll we'll be throwing mailbag on Twitter. Just freaking yell at us. Yell into the void. DM us. Instagram. I'll put up a mail. Jake puts it up on Twitter for the show. Just yell into the void at us, and it gives us talking points. So we really appreciate that aspect of it, guys. You just gotta fully send it. Um. So yeah, appreciate that for sure. Appreciate everyone listening and all the uh, positive feedback we've been getting. And um, yeah, guys, stay tuned. Rolling, rolling on with it. We're, you know, five weeks into the season now, which kind of feels crazy to uh, to say. Hopefully everything stays kosher on uh, that front with COVID and everything. Seems like uh, there's been some difficulties, but I, I have faith they're going to push through it, just like the other sports leagues have uh, found a way to. So we're going to be hanging in here. Hope you guys are going to be hanging in here with us. Appreciate you checking this episode out in particular. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and a rating uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And um yeah, in the meantime, follow us on social media. You can find me at Jake Luke. That's L-O-U-Q-U-E. You can find Spencer at Ravens for Dummies. That's the number four. And you can follow the show at Podcast Beatdown and the uh, main website's Twitter at Be More Beatdown. Really appreciate everyone tuning in. Have yourselves a great week, and we'll talk to you guys again very, very soon. We got the Eagles coming up next. Exciting one. Always love when the Ravens play the Eagles. Yeah, dude. Gonna but. go up in there, play them Eagles, drinking some yinglings up here in uh, Lincoln Park, dude. Ray up not, the 95 Expressway. I wish we had Lamar Jackson. We got, don't got that stinks. stinky Carson out there making them froze. It's literally just a Baltimore accent, which is great. Pretty much, yeah. Philly and Baltimore are very similar cities, even like the row home aspect. Of yeah, like they South look Philly. they look very similar, yeah. Philly's probably like a little bit cooler. I'll, I'll say it. Yeah, I would, I, I would think so. Yeah, Not yeah, as good of food, though, in my opinion. Cheesesteaks, defeat. Anything Baltimore in my mind, that's like my favorite food. Crabs, I love, sure. But other than that, Philly food, eh, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's whatever. But uh, yeah. The Philly, Philly, well, the, the Wizwit. The Wizwit uh, takes the fucking cake, though. So appreciate you guys. We'll be uh, breaking down this Philly episode, trying to see if Philly, Philly personalities, Philly reporters, et cetera, to come on and give us some insight into a very fun, but kind of shitty Eagles team. So appreciate you guys. We'll talk to you next week. Peace. See ya. Stay frosty. I guess. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right. God bless. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs>